All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly, and today I'm broadcasting live from the Foundry Building in um, historic Georgetown in Washington, D.C. We're right on the CNO Canal. It's a beautiful facility here. And um, I'm in town for um, the Privacy and Security Forum at George Washington University. It should be an interesting week. But um, we have a great show for you today, even if we are doing it remotely. But first, I just want to take a, a moment to extend our, our deepest sympathies and um, express our our sadness and our prayers over what has happened this past week in Las Vegas. A lot of our friends of the show and um, and people I've worked with um, live in Las Vegas, and um, it's just an unspeakable horror and tragedy. And once again, um, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with them. But today we're going to be talking about a very important issue, and we're going to be talking about our elections. And lately, our elections have been coming under attack in many different ways, actually, um, through attacks on who can vote through voter suppression, um, through attacks on how the votes or um, the offices are organized. And right today in the Supreme Court, there's an argument going on about um, partisan gerrymandering and whether it has gone too far and whether the Supreme Court needs to step in and set guidelines so we don't have... um, a House of Representatives that does not reflect the actual will of the people. And another area where vote has become an attack, as we've seen a lot in the media, is in the area of hacking of voting systems. And there's been a number of reports about the Russians attempting to or potentially succeeding in attacking um, some of the or penetrating some of the voting systems in several states in the last election. Um, but most recently, there was a, at the July DEF CON conference, there was a voting machine hacker village in which um, 30 pieces of equipment were available for hackers to attempt to penetrate. And um, the good news that is that in the first 89 minutes, they were completely unsuccessful. The bad news, in 90 minutes, they were. So with us today is the person who organized that uh, initiative, Jake Braun. And Jake is um, here. He has been active in this issue. He's with Cambridge Global Advisors, and he's speaking to us from Washington, D.C., Jake, well, why don't you give us a little background on your work in, the, in this area of uh, election security? Sure. So um, I actually started out my career um, working on political campaigns, and uh, I, I was uh, um, worked on in voter protection on uh, multiple campaigns, uh, working on you know voter security issues there. You know, nobody ever really thought uh, years ago that cybersecurity was one of the security issues we had to be concerned about. Um, but nonetheless, you know, through that process, got to know a lot about uh, the types of voting machines that are used in the United States and, and uh, you know, in different parts of the country and so on. And then went to uh, Homeland Security, where I was the White House liaison to the Department of Homeland Security, and, and there started to get, you know, steeped in cybersecurity issues. And, uh, you know, it had been brought up before um, that, gee, somebody might be able to hack into our into our voting machines, 
um, and affect the outcome of the election. But honestly, we had always, before 2016, thought that that was really a tinfoil hat issue. Um, because we were like, who in their right mind would ever want to, would ever take on the risk of doing that? I mean, it's a federal crime, obviously. Um, you know, a nation state would have to, you know, incur the wrath of, of you know, the U.S. government, um, the U.S. military and so on if they did such a thing. And so we just never worried about it. Um, you know, after 2016, uh, we realized that, well, <laughs> we really do need to worry about it. Um, right. And so uh, the DEF CON Hacker Conference, uh, which is the largest hacker conference in the world, um, put on by one of our board members, uh, Jeff Moss, um, is, is a place that, that ge- generates a lot of media attention um, around different issues like this. Uh, two years ago, they, they hacked into cars and were able to shut down the brakes of a Jeep from about a mile and a half away remotely. And um, after I heard a lot of the vendors and a lot of the election officials around the country saying, oh, you know, the machines are unhackable and the databases are air-gapped and, uh, and all this other sort of nonsense, um, that frankly, nobody from a mature cyber industry like the finance industry or, uh, or the defense industrial base um, would ever say that any of their stuff is unhackable because no one who knows what right. they're talking about would ever say that. Um, um, so they, uh, so I said to Jeff, like, Hey, you know, we need to kind of, you know, pop this balloon and, uh, and, you know, get, get rid of this idea that, um, that, you know, there's, there's anything in this space that's unhackable. Um, so why don't we have a, what they call a, a, a village, a hacker village, um, to, uh, hack machines. And, uh, and by the way, on top of the mach- the machines got the most press. Um, however, we got a, a clerk um, who was uh, one of the more forward-thinking folks in this space, uh, the guys in Cook County, Illinois, who I, who I really give a lot of props to, um, gave us the, the kind of a watered-down specs to their network, and we recreated um, the clerk's network in, our, um, in, our, uh, in, a, in a cyber range at the event, and we're creating uh, or providing training to state and local government officials and anybody else who wanted it on, on how to defend um, uh, a, a clerk's network. Because, um, of course, clerks are the ones who, who administer elections um, right. uh, around the country. And so we were doing all that. And, and, of course, as you can imagine, showing how porous those networks are as well. Now, it, just a side, side note for our listeners and who may not be familiar with this, but we don't have a national election. We have 51 state elections. And among those various state elections, the voting systems may be determined statewide or they may be determined countywide or even you know, municipal-wide based on whatever you know, the registrar there decides is the appropriate system. And so it's not like we have one national system that has, you know, common standards, common procedures, which, you know, is a plus and a minus, I guess, if you're thinking about defending against cyber attacks. Right. Well, and, and go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, and, and um, just to highlight that point, but, and, and so for you, you had to get cooperation or did you get cooperation with the voting machine manufacturers to do this or? Uh, no, we did not. In fact, it's funny. Uh, one of them sent out a letter um, after the event, you know, saying how it was, 
you know, not not relevant or not germane to the discussion, which was ridiculous. And in the, and in there, they said that they had actually called Homeland Security uh, in advance of us doing this to ask if it was even legal for us to do it. So, it's I, I guess they were actually active. They told them, yes, it is legal for us to do it. Um, we got a because of, and I think this is a really important point, by the way, uh, because this is coming up for, um, I guess, reapproval. Um, and I believe uh, the Senate, I'm not sure, um, the DCMA, um, I, I think I'm screwing up the acronym, but essentially the uh, provision that allows you to do um, packing for research purposes um, okay. uh, uh, that was passed a couple years ago allowed us to, uh, to do all this legally. Um, so DHS so like, oh, appropriately told them no. White, white hat immunity. Exactly, exactly. And so they knew about it and actually, you know, said, um, one, they said, you know, this is irrelevant, nothing's going to happen. And two, they contacted um, a, the um, DA, Department of Homeland Security, and said, hey, what about this? And despite knowing about it, tell us about the results. Uh, well, it was really remarkable. I mean, honestly, um, some of the people who've worked in this space for years uh, were saying to us, you know, look, you guys really need to be careful about what you're going to say is going to come out of this because, you know, um, in the past we've had, you know, academics who've, you know, spent an entire month hacking into a machine and, and even then they couldn't really, uh, you know, affect key components of the election and so on. And, uh, and, and so we really kind of downplayed it because we didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, I had kind of an inkling of what was going to happen, but I uh, didn't really know. And then, of course, as you said at the outset, um, you know, not only were the hackers, and, and by the way, some of these people were 15-year-old kids. Um, none of the people in the room, except for my, except for my two co-organizers, um, Harry Hursty and Professor Matt Blaze, who are both really brilliant uh, um, hackers, um, none of them besides those two had any experience with these machines before. None of them have ever touched one of these machines before. And uh, they got into the first machine remotely, by the way, without physical access in, as you said, the first hour and a half. Um, and they had gotten into all the machines uh, by the end of the weekend. So every single voting machine um, that was there, they had gotten into, including some of the electronic poll books, um, which is like in some states when you check in um, to vote, they, they check you in electronically. Um, and it was, it's, you know, these hackers always have a good sense of humor and they were, after about the first day, day and a half, they were so kind of disgusted with the lack of security in these machines that they began, um, like playing jokes with the machines. So they like rickrolled the machine, um, you know, where they got the machine to play that Rick Ashley song, never going to give you up. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they were they were like <laughs> getting the machines to play um, cartoons of cats, you know, chasing balls and stuff like that. Um, they uh, um, they were they were doing things like you know uploading um, fictitious names like Mickey Mouse and stuff like that and having them vote. Um, it was uh, it was it was pretty remarkable. So let me let's talk about that. Um, they got access to the poll book, which you said that's. That's basically the check-in, so all the registered voters. Can, does that mean they got access to the tabulations as well? Uh, the tabulation would be on the, on the voting machine side. Um, 
So, but what you can do with the poll book is you can add or delete voters, um, meaning okay. that um, you could you could say, hey, we want to stop a bunch of people from being able to vote, so we're going to hack into these poll books and delete, you know, a third of the voters, and therefore you have. Um, you know, a third of the people not be able to show up. And if you can imagine, you know, doing that across, you know, the city of Detroit or the city of Columbus, well, I mean, that could flip either one of those states if all of a sudden a third of the people in Detroit couldn't vote or a third of the people in Columbus right. couldn't vote. Um, at the same time, you could also, you could also um, uh, take people off um, and... Uh, and then show that they make it look like they had not voted, voted even though they had, so that people could vote multiple times. Again, right? Wow. Um, um, and go ahead. No, no um, and so you have a system. You had. Were there any voting machines that are in use today in the United States that weren't accessed under this no. village? So every no, voting we, we system get, in the United States was penetrated. You know, I mean, in terms of, let me rephrase that. The, the type of machine that is being used, every type of machine that's being used at, in the polls in 2016 or you know, upcoming elections, you tested and they all failed. Correct. Um, I, think, I think what some of the, what, <laughs> exactly. I think what, what some of the vendors and some of the secretaries of state and, and clerks um, um, who, you know, would like to push back on this and say, oh, well, you know, you didn't have the most updated software. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've patched this hole or that hole. To, and our response is, <laughs> okay, great. But give us the most updated software. Let's see how long it takes our guys to get in. Um, I, I, I am uh, pretty confident, having seen what these guys have done in, in many other industries, uh, not just this one, that uh, the results would be largely the same. Because guess what? They're largely the same in every industry um, that that uh, hackers are brought in to try and get into stuff. I just had uh, Tony Sager, uh, the former head of defense at NSA, um, speaking to my class on Monday at University of Chicago, and he was laughing, saying, "You know, uh, I'm so it's boring to, to me to hear oh they were able to get into this system or that system." He's like, "Of course you can get into whatever system." You know, we, hackers can get into every system that exists um, uh, in the world. There's, there's. Uh, the current NSA guy in charge of defense for the NSA today. Uh, no, a former. Um, he retired a couple of years ago, but he was the longest okay. serving. Uh, he was the longest serving. I mean, he served under. He's like so what? Uh, he he's the longest serving um, head of defense at a, at a NSA. Tony Sager. Right, but is he saying, and maybe I'm misunderstanding him, is he saying, so what, big deal? You were able to ask uh, no, 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 he's, he's, he's saying um, that it's such an obvious point that the hackers would get in um, that, that essentially any, anybody who would claim that they can't get in doesn't know what they're talking about because okay. the hackers can always get in. So in essence... The two alarming points from this exercise: one is that they said you, you can't get in, and which you know Mr. Sager's point is, well, that's ridiculous. And two was how easy it was to get in. Well, right, and I think, um, I, and I, I think there's a couple other things that are even more disturbing, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, 
I, because of, of Mr. Sager's point that, that of course they got in. Um, if, if this was the military uh, industrial base, or if this was the finance industry, um, no one who is senior leadership, even outside of the cyber division of these entities that like, let's say Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, Chase, um, Citibank, whatever, nobody from the CEO to the board to the, the CIO, whoever, would say, we can't be hacked. Um, right. They would say, actually, in fact, I guarantee that we're being hacked right now, probably by multiple actors, <laughs> um, uh, you know, because, because, you know, the bad guys can get in. Um, what a mature industry says is, yes, of course they can get in. We're being attacked by nation state actors with essentially unlimited resources um, that have means, know-how, and motive um, to hack into our right. systems. And the question is whether they can get in. The question is, um, as critical infrastructure, how do we partner with our, um, with our uh, counterparts in the national security agencies um, and, and, our, and our competitors, by the way, because they do all work together on this issue, um, to try and find the bad guys faster, uh, make sure that we're all, all using um, top-of-the-line best practice in cybersecurity, um, share information with each other, um, and, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and that's what a mature, uh, an industry that's mature in cybersecurity, that's what they do, is they say, of course the bad guys can get in, we're all sitting ducks, we need to work together with the national security folks. And unfortunately what's happening in this industry, because it is a immature industry related to cybersecurity, is they're saying, oh, you can't get in, oh, that particular test wasn't valid, oh, we're air-gapped, or we're, you know, uh, these individual machines, you need physical access to them and so on, which is just ridiculous in and of its face. I mean, if you can get into NSA, JP Morgan, and um, Cybercom, if hackers can get into those places, any secretary of state or vendor who says they can't get into their system is, is either crazy or a liar, one of the two. Or, or, or needs to be drug tested. Um, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but um, we, we, we're going to take a short break. We get back, we're going to talk about what exactly does this mean and from this dramatic test and, and what has been the fallout. And you'll see that there has been already um, ripples about this, this event and uh, other election systems are now deciding whether what they should do. Um, after these messages, you're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. 
at Fjord. Our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Start your search engine and put your servers into overdrive. It's Webmaster Radio.fm steering you into the winner's circle. Webmaster Radio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel to gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on Webmaster Radio.fm. And we're back, and as usual, information our guests in this show is on our um, our show notes, which are on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com, and you can also follow us on Twitter. And if you look at our show notes, we have a, a tribute to the great um, singer-songwriter Tom Petty, as well as um, character actor Harry Dean Stanton, who I, I once had a, spent a, a very long late night um, after hours um, with, and he's a very interesting guy. But any event, um, we're here talking about uh, this remarkable test of the voting systems and and Jake so what has been the fallout from this well I think you know we've had we've had things that are both uh, good and, and bad that have come or maybe good and not so good that have come from it um, so on the not so good side <laughs> um, I think I mentioned to you you know we've had some secretaries of state come out and say oh this was just a stunt and we've had some right. some of the vendors come out and like I said sent, sent letters to some of their uh, customers saying, "Oh well, you know, um, they, they, this this was a you know not a real real uh, test or whatever." Um, so I think this like state of denial that they're still in, which again is is just a sign of a um, an immature industry in terms of cybersecurity. Like I said, J.P. Morgan Chase or Lockheed Martin or Northrop Grumman would, ne- would never have that response to something like this um, because they're immature industries in cybersecurity. Um, right. So that's been not great. At the same time, what I will say that's been really encouraging is that I've seen um, the Department of Homeland Security uh, and, um, and Congress taking this very seriously from both sides of the aisle. So um, we had Representative Phil Hurd, who's a Republican congressman from Texas and uh, head of the Cyber Caucus in the House, um, and his uh, Democratic counterpart, uh, Longerman, whose name I always butcher, um, but he's a congressman from Maryland. Um, they did a Facebook Live from uh, the, the Hacker Village, um, you know, saying that, you know, Heard actually, to his credit, um, started off saying, hey, this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is an, an American issue. Um, you know, right. we need to protect our voting systems and so on. So that, that was really encouraging. I know several of us has been, have been asked to come in and talk to members of Congress on this issue, um, both sides of the aisle, and, and we've done that and, and uh, are seeing 
you know, them take this very seriously. Um, and then two, uh, DHS, I've been very impressed with DHS's response. They, they, sent, multiple, they sent some of their most high-tech um, uh, hacker guys to the conference to, to get a sense of what we're doing. Um, to, to, um, uh, they, they had some of their most senior leadership um, um, uh, come and look at it and, and, you know, get a sense of what was going on. And uh, they've actually asked us and some of the uh, key hacker guys who um, came in uh, to run the thing, Harry, Harry, Harry Hersey, sorry, and Professor Matt Blaze, um, have asked them to come in and, and brief as well. Um, and in fact, they've actually got us coming and doing a briefing um, here in the next, uh, in the next couple of days. So uh, Homeland Security is clearly taking this very seriously, as, as is Congress. And I think, you know, because these guys or the guys and gals who run Congress and, and Homeland Security, I think, do get a sense of this of the the fact that A, the hackers can always get in. Um and B, you know, this this industry has a nation state after it, um that it uh, you know, has essentially unlimited resources, has clearly some of the most capable hackers in the world, this being Russia of course, and has a very clear motive uh, uh to continue doing this. And so you know, they're, they're obviously taking it very seriously. So uh, let so me ask good. you a, a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there was hacking involving the voting machines in 2016? Um, so I'll say two things on that. Um, one is I have I have very little interest in relitigating 2016 because I don't right. want to make this a partisan issue. Um, and I think if we look backwards, uh, that that will happen. Um, both sides will kind of dig in and and take their partisan stance. I I, I want to look forward on this, um, so that we can you know both parties kind of work together to to you know protect against a common enemy, which is Russia. Um, that being said, um, it, it is clear that voter registration databases were breached, and clerks and secretaries of state networks were breached. Um, there has been some reports of hackers getting into voting machines. Obviously, there was the NSA leak about uh, hackers getting into one of the voting machine companies um, in advance of the 2016 election. Um, so, you know, there's, there's plenty of evidence out there that they, uh, and this has been reported by the administration and, and other sources, that um, the, the Russians did get into you know, this, the key components of this critical infrastructure, um, including one of the voting machine vendors. Uh, so the, the fact that they got in is, is I think, uh, a given. Um, what they did once they got in, you know, who knows? And, uh, and I wouldn't want to speculate. I will say, um, if I can kind of continue on with, the, with this sure. question here a little bit, is that I do see one of the most irresponsible things that I've seen done uh, from both uh, some of the secretaries of state that have report that have testified to Congress, as well as uh, some of the vendors and their statements on this, is they say, "Oh well, there's no evidence that Russia changed anything or deleted anything or whatever." Um, However, the appropriate response is that we actually have no idea what the Russians did because we don't right. have the sensors and forensic capability in place to go back and look. It is, it is, a, it is exactly like 
somebody not counting their money, putting it into a safe, having the safe get broken into, and then when somebody comes and says, well, did you have any money stolen? They say, well, I have no evidence of that. And it's like, well, wait a second. You didn't count the money in the first place. You don't have any cameras, you know, right. watching the safe. Like, how do you know that nobody took any money? And they're like, well, I have no evidence. And it's like, well, okay. But, <laughs> but somebody broke in, like, you know. So, so I, I, you know, I think that, that's been deeply troubling, that this response of we have no evidence of, of X, Y, and Z. Well, um, I, go there's ahead. also another assumption underlying that response is that, oh, that this is just a one-time event. Like we have elections, for example, in New Jersey and Virginia in 2017. Mm-hmm. In 2018, we have the midterms, and of course, in 2020, we have another presidential election. And so, if to the extent that you were penetrated, yeah, you don't know what they did, but that pretty sure that definitely should tell you that they're going to try again. Why would you just do it once and say, "Hey, wasn't that fun?" Right. Yeah, I mean, the real sin here on the part of the vendors and uh, the secretaries of state and, and some of the clerks that have, um, you know, spoken out against the stuff and said, you know, again, nothing to see here. Uh, the real sin is not that they were breached. I mean, of course they were breached. I mean, do you think that, you know, these guys stand a chance against Russian hackers? I mean, of course they don't. Um, the sin is that they're not asking for help and that they're not, you know, standing on top of, you know, standing on whatever street corner with the loudest microphone they can get their hands on, you know, saying, you know, we absolutely desperately need resources, um, intelligence, uh, and so on um, from the national security community to harden our systems because we are sitting ducks and no one should fault them for, for getting breached. It's, I mean, they don't stand a chance. Uh, what they should be faulted right. for is not asking for help. And, and that's, and that's the problem with their response then. And, and, and so, in that environment, as I said, we have elections in 2017, and one of them is in the state of Virginia. And Terry McAuliffe, the governor of Virginia, <clears throat> has taken the, the measure in response to you know, your effort um, you know, in the Hacker Village to decertify the voting machines being used in Virginia, and it actually calls for mm-hmm. the state to invest money into new machines. What, what was your reaction to that? Oh, I mean, we're we're really happy about it. I mean, it, it's good to have uh, something like you know to see real progress uh, this this quickly after um, the, the after DefCon. You know, usually these things take you know months or years before you actually see government do anything on it, and and that's not the case here. We we obviously applaud Governor McAuliffe. I, I think one of the um, one of the things that's most disconcerting is that I think like 40 states. Um, again, don't hold me to that number, but it's, it's, a, it's an overwhelming majority of the country is about to embark on a procurement cycle because the machines are kind of ending their lifespan. And so they'll all be out buying new machines over the course of the next 18 to 24 months. And uh, with that, you know, with that happening, if, if they're not taking the security stuff seriously and um, asking the right questions of the vendors and trying to put things in place like you know, risk limiting audits, paper ballots, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the basic cyber hygiene on the clerk and secretary of state's network and their databases, um, you know, it'll be a really, real shame because then they're stuck with this stuff um, for another 10 years. Right. Now, in, in 2000, we had that, you know, the prolonged election and, you know, the drama over dangling chads and butterfly ballots. And so afterwards, Congress responded and they passed the Help American Vote Act. 
and that was supposed to provide you know funding to states to update their voting systems. Um, where does that come in, and does Congress need to step in and set cybersecurity standards for voting? Uh, yeah, so you know, HAVA certainly, um, you know, in, in some ways, you know, contributed to this. Uh, that being said, you know, again, back then, I mean, to think that someone would hack into a voting machine to change the outcome of election was, was again, a tinfoil hat issue. So I certainly don't, you know, fault the folks who put HAVA together um, uh, for, you know, for the fact that we have some of the machines we do. Um, and, you know, I mean, cybersecurity just wasn't a thing back then. So they didn't write security, um, you know. Right. Requirements. Y2K the was the issue then, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, however, now it's, you know, now it's different. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think what I think is, is really the way forward here is Congress needs to appropriate money uh, for the states uh, to buy updated equipment and improve the cyber hygiene of their networks and databases. Uh, the states, the, the one gripe that I really do, um, you know, get and, and certainly understand from the states is that they're broke um, and they just can't afford uh, to upgrade their machines in many cases and certainly um, putting the, the key cyber hygiene protocols and, and tools in place on their networks and databases. So Congress needs to, needs to fund that. This is a national security issue. We're under attack from a nation state um, that is an existential threat to the United States. So that, that's the job of Congress to pay for that, right? Or at least to pay for, right. for the lion's share of it. Um, but then and DHS needs to put um, standards in place, security standards in place, so that uh, state and locals have to buy stuff that is actually going to help solve the problem. Um, and no one should expect, you know, uh, a clerk or a secretary of state to know what all those things are, but DHS does. And so they should put guidelines around what the money can and can't be spent on. Um, and then finally, we need to have uh, mandatory uh, audits in place and, uh, and paper ballots. Very interesting. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to hear um, more on this issue and uh, learn more about Jake's um, business. And after these messages, you're listening to Cyberlon Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief test for our sponsors. Webmasterradio.fm is the destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Engage with our panel of on-air experts and peers by following us on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can listen to webmasterradio.fm on air or on demand from our website or through iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. Interact and stay informed. Just search for webmasterradio.fm. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network. Through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. 
Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. Webmasterradio.fm. Take your hat off, kick your feet up, and log into the feed. We're here for you 24-7. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking with Jake Braun about the um, widely publicized uh, hacking voting machine hacker village at DEFCON in um, July, and and the the fallout from it. And before we, we we broke, Jake made a very important point about how Congress needs to step in and, and provide states assistance. Because here's the deal: there is really no political benefit to having safe voting machines. In terms of, you know, there's no constituency that really calls for that, and and so you know, states have limited resources, and they need to fund roads and you know other things that their constituents are going to you know vote them in or out of office on. But very few people actually react on voting machines. I think. Do you think that's a fair point, Jake? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when was the last time you heard this come up as a campaign issue? None. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Name no, all the right, attack exactly. ads that had this. Yeah, <laughs> right, and, right, and, right. and so as this is going on, you know, so the, there's the issue of what do we do? And um, Senator Ron Wyden, who has been very visible on this issue, has actually just sent a letter to the six major voting machine manufacturers asking for their cybersecurity protocols. And it'll be interesting to see what the response was. You know, the, the report just came out yesterday. So it's too early to tell, but clearly they're feeling the heat. And you know, what what what's your anticipation of where this might go? Um, well, I think so. You know, I I uh, you know I'm encouraged by by the letter that he sent. Um, I would encourage him to to try and get a, a Republican um, you know co-signer because I know that there are Republicans out there who who are totally with them on this issue, and, and I just hate for this to get seen as a partisan, uh, partisan issue. But, um, you know, I, I think that the questions that he asked in there were, were certainly a, um, a good start, and I think, you know, God, any, <laughs> any uh, voting uh, machine company who can't answer in the affirmative to the questions he asked, you know, basic things like, do you have a chief information security officer? You know, have you done um, cyber testing on your equipment? Um, you know, do you have cybersecurity plans in place for your software development, stuff like that? I mean, if, if they can't answer yes to those questions, then, I mean, they, you know, you know shouldn't sure. be in this business. Um, I do think that there's some other things we need to, we need to think about. Um, so, for example, um, sourcing of uh, parts. So there's a, there's a whole global supply chain here of the electronics that go into the machines, and there's this kind of fallacy that, uh, you know, the, that has been kind of promulgated um, by the voting industry that, um, you know, these, there's so many different types of machines and the elections are administered by so many different, uh, I mean, over 3,000 uh, counties and cities that uh, the disparate nature of our election infrastructure actually keeps us protected because while you might be able to get into one machine here and one machine there and so on, it'd be hard to affect the whole country at once. Um, because it's such a patchwork. Um, however, that kind of falls on its face when you look at the supply chain and that uh, the chips and so on 
come from all over the world. And frankly, you just got to get into a handful of factories uh, and, and you could infect the chips of hundreds of thousands of machines all at once. And once those things are turned on, they could be, you know, talking back to mother Russia um, immediately. And again, you know, this was tinfoil hat stuff even a year ago. Um, but, you know, this is the type of stuff Russia knows how to do. This isn't like some, you know, corrupt city clerk that we're saying is going to go break into a, a manufacturing plant in, you know, the Philippines and uh, infect chips. This is Russian intelligence operatives who do this type of stuff all the time. <laughs> and and what, what you think should be done then? I mean, what do you do? Do you have to vet each supplier or... How does that work? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, so there should be a, a, um, an assessment of or the, the supply chain in general. Um, there should be, you know, vetting of the, of the chips and, and other electronics parts and code for that matter. Um, that being said, I think most people in this industry know that uh, ultimately that's an unwinnable, um, you know, scenario because there's just so much code is written from so many parts of the world and, and same with the chips and so on. Uh, that we're, that while we should do that, at the same time, uh, this is exactly why we need to have paper ballots that are hand-marked or human-marked paper ballots uh, that, and require a small but statistically significant randomized uh, audit of the election before results are announced. So what that could look like is, is literally as simple as two or 3,000 ballots um, randomly counted statewide um, you know, that's a couple hundred ballots in 10 or 15 precincts um, hand counted just to check and make sure that they actually match what the machines are saying. Um, and then if they don't, okay, well, you can do a, far, a, a, a broader audit. But um, if we just did that, something as simple as that, that is essentially free, um, that would give us an enormous amount of uh, trust that, the, that what the machines are telling us um, is correct. Um, and, and, and that's really what the Russians are after here is, is undermining trust. Um, that's exactly. a heck of a lot easier to do than, than really flipping an election. Now, um, we only have a few minutes left, and I'd like to – can you tell people a little bit about what you do with, um, with Cambridge Associates and Global – excuse me, Cambridge Global Advisors and you know, what, what role they play? Sure. Um, so we are a national security – uh, strategy, policy, and communications firm. Um, we help uh, corporate clients uh, who have uh, who do work in the national security space um, on things like cybersecurity, uh, data analytics around counterterrorism, and uh, stuff like that. We also uh, work with governments around the world um, for their cybersecurity policy, um, strategy, and, and communications. Um, and we we have actually worked with state and local. Um, governments. I would like to say with all the kind of criticism I've had for uh, many of the um, folks in this space that uh, some of the folks in, in Cook County, Illinois, by the way, were, were great with this. There's a group called IGO of, of county clerks um, nationally that um, is actually having us do a presentation to their members uh, because they're taking this stuff very seriously. Um, and so we, we, um, there, there are folks in this, in this space uh, that do that do get how serious this is and are doing everything they can to um, uh, t 
to do this right. And um, anyway, so, you know, we, we advise uh, corporations, governments, and so on on cybersecurity policy and strategies and, and uh, that type of stuff. We have a kind of a, a list of or a long list of uh, very senior former national security officials. So uh, uh, General Doug Lute uh, was the most recent U.S. ambassador to NATO. He was the uh, ambassador to NATO when uh, in 2016 when all this was happening. He also served in uh, the Bush administration um, uh, on the Iraq-Afghan uh, war policy at the end of the administration during the surge. Um, uh, General Frank Taylor, who uh, was the undersecretary for the intelligence division of, of uh, Homeland Security that actually did the assessment of uh, the risk for um, state and local governments leading into the election, uh, works with us as well. He was also in the Bush administration as the head of diplomatic security at the State Department. Um, Chris Burnham, uh, undersecretary of management at the State Department, um, was on the Trump, uh, Trump transition team for state, um, and so on. So we're a bipartisan firm, have uh, senior officials from both sides of the aisle um, who, who really uh, spent their careers understanding uh, how technology and uh, national security uh, intertwine. And what's, for people who want to follow you and your, your company, what's the best way for them to do so? Oh, um, our uh, website is cambridgeglobaladvisors.com, um, and you can find us on Twitter at uh, Cambridge Global. Great. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us, and this is a very important issue, and we only have a few minutes left, so just uh, for those, um, check out our show notes. We have a complete profile on Cambridge Global and on Jake, so definitely check it out. Also, we have a, a rundown on our upcoming shows as well as um, information on a privacy webinar series being done by the California Bar IP section. I'm, I'm the vice chair of the um, technology, internet, and privacy section. And we have a, a series of um, webinars coming up on privacy starting on Tuesday, October 10th. Um, that's going to deal with um, privacy and Brexit, as well as uh, another one on the 17th on privacy law in, Canada, in California, and then on the 24th on privacy law and M&A transactions. So information on our uh, uh, blog, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. So, um, and join us next week. We're going to be talking about a new law passed that went into effect uh, this week in Germany that requires removal of any hate content within 24 hours. We're going to have Andre Shalal, uh, a Reuters reporter in Berlin, to talk about the fallout from that. Thank you for joining us. Um, feel free to check out the Internet Law Center, internetlawcenter.net, for information about our firm. We're a full-service firm in Internet law. And then again, join us next week right here on Webmaster Radio for another edition of Cyberlaw Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly from Washington, D.C. saying see you next week. Have a great week. The opinions expressed on the program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.